This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Yesterday, the gentleman kind enough to join me in studio was trading some Las Vegas tips with yours truly. And now this week, the eyes of the world are on Las Vegas, Nevada, which is great for us because we just started airing on a great radio station there. K-Dawn, very pleased to be on it. And uh, let me welcome my colleague and friend, Dominic Carter, veteran broadcast journalist who heard every morning from midnight to 1 a.m. on 77 WABC in New York. What's going on, Dominic? Good morning. Good morning. Um, you know, the eyes of the world are obviously on Vegas because of the, the big game on yes, Sunday, the Super yes, Bowl. Patrick Mahomes. You're on air, uh, you know, basically a couple hours after the game ends on Sunday night. What is your plan for watching the game on Sunday? The same it is every year. Mm-hmm. You and I are in the public eye. Right. And so I know you like public gatherings. <laughs> I am just the opposite. Well, not when, as many as you might think. Okay, we'll, when I'm not working... Uh, plus, plus, my mother uh, passed on Super Bowl, on a Super Bowl. Sunday. Oh, I didn't realize that. I'm so, sorry. so, so, I like to watch the game, perhaps alone or with my wife and kids, uh, and and that's it. I don't necessarily. I like to watch the Super Bowl, the halftime show. You know. Um, so, what are you going to do to watch? The well, game? I, probably something similar, right? Because, and then if I can get a nap after the game, I'll come in here and be bright eyed and bushy tailed for one a.m. But you're aware that on on the day after the Super Bowl, there is a massive drain of productivity. People calling out sick. Or yes. if they do make it to work, they uh, they are not doing their job to 100%. They're half asleep. They're, uh, we, because, we don't have that level. Exactly. We don't. We, but we work that same night. It, it, no doubt about it. But there's a huge problem with respect to lost productivity the Monday after the Super Bowl. So what started as kind of a joke that people used to talk about has now started meriting serious suggestion which is some people are saying that it might be time to make Super Bowl Monday a national holiday. Uh USA today had a big article yesterday saying it's time to look at this. Now it's not it's a complicated thing because we do make new po- holidays obviously just a few years ago Juneteenth became a holiday but it's pretty rare. What do you make of this it's idea? It's not going to happen, and I don't know if it's a good idea. Uh, you know, we all celebrate the Super Bowl, but it is what it is. Get up and go to work the next day. So Mike Snyder, the USA Today uh, columnist, and, you know, uh, I'm, well, let's make this a poll question on Twitter. If you want to weigh in on this, you can find me on Twitter. I still call it Twitter, at Frank Morano. Should the Monday after the Super Bowl be a national holiday? Because I have a solution that I think is going to uh, be a, a pretty adequate compromise. But basically, Mike Snyder says every year we gather around TV to watch the Super Bowl and the commercials and then struggle 
people to show up for work after the fun and frivolity. He says, just make it Mon- make Monday a national holiday. Um, since 2017, Change.org has hosted more than two dozen petitions asking Congress or the president to make the Monday after the Super Bowl a national holiday. One of those petitions, and I, I, I don't know if I signed this petition, but this is, uh, I think, all a very good idea. One of those petitions suggests moving President's Day to the day after the Super Bowl. Uh, other people suggest no school after the day after at all. Why not just simply make President's Day the day after the Super Bowl or make the Super Bowl always the Sunday before President's Day? Wouldn't because, that be... Uh, because if you do something like that, it's disrespectful to the to President's Day and the presidents that we honor. It, it's... It, 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 it just get up and go to work. It, it's not going to happen. You know, we can talk about it. We can debate it. Congress can debate it. It's never going to happen. First of all, I, I question how much respect we're really paying to the president on President's point. Day That's a good point. in general. Right. I think a lot of people look right. at it as a mattress sale or as a day they don't have to and, move their car and I for alternate need, side parking. I, I do need a new mattress. But, but, I, <laughs> but, but, I, but, you know, I got some good news as far as the migrants. Uh, arrests have been made in Phoenix. I'm going to update you on that in just a second. The the uh, migrants that uh, beat up the New York City police officers and then skipped town after they were released. I got some information on that. I'll go through that in a second. But we were just on uh, the local show. You're national mm-hmm. now. And you said something that I must follow up on because I cannot believe this. You said with a straight face, with a straight face. That um, you you told us that you raid the refrigerator. Well, I, don't raid, okay. I enforce the <laughs> company code of making sure that whatever's in the refrigerator is properly labeled. And you just said that you went and had a bagel, half a bagel, half a bagel that wasn't yours, that was it, in the fridge. It was unlabeled, so yes, it was communal. And you ate it. Yes, it was delicious. Best and, decision I've made in days. And you're not worried about. About what may be in it? No, no. It was there was cream cheese, tomato, and lox in it. It was delicious. So I had lox, cream cheese, and to, and tomato. Yes, it was delicious. So, and and you ate it. I did, and without hesitation. Without hesitation. <laughs> now let me ask you, since you mentioned this migrant situation, want to ask you about another guy that used to be a, a frequent guest of yours, and that is uh, Al Sharpton. Who you know, talking about eating, I I saw him at a party on. Uh, on, I guess it was Friday night. The have you seen him lately? Yes, he looks awful. Yeah, honestly, you know, yes. he turned sideways. I thought it was Callista Flockhart. <laughs> the guy, he looks, and I'm not saying this to be mean or anything. He looks anorexic. He works out 5 a.m. in the morning. Uh, doesn't eat after 6 p.m. and you know, on and on and on. Uh, no, I get the, uh, the working out, but mm-hmm. he's got it. He should have a sandwich or something. He should be having that half a bagel. Maybe that was his half a bagel that uh, you know that he wasn't. And so eating. you're serious? You ate a half a bagel in the fridge? Yes, with, that, yes. That, that, that Those are the rules. <laughs> the rules clearly say you've got to label your food. So anyway, Al Sharpton was on MSNBC yesterday okay. talking about this migrant situation, and uh, this is what he said as he was uh, conducting an interview. You're getting migrants beating up policemen in the streets of New York. You're seeing an influx of migrants all over the country that frankly have people outraged. And couldn't there be some kind of public pressure put in the next couple of days in some of these senator states saying, why are you allowing this to continue? Because at the end of the day, senators have to deal with their voters. And at the same time, it uh, in the bill, you give 
uh, uh, money to Gaza, to, to, to civilians in Gaza and Israel. But the border, I mean, we're looking every day at the invasion of migrants and they're playing a time game with politics on this. Couldn't that pressure put to bear in their home states? So that's Al Sharpton, not Tom Tancredo or Pat Buchanan calling what's happening with the migrant issue an invasion. I mean, uh, and, and citing specifically the fact that they're beating up cops. Al Sharpton not exactly considered a hero to the men and women of police departments across the country. What does that say to you about the politics of this migrant situation that you have somebody like Al Sharpton on MSNBC, definitely considered a leftist? of center media outlet that he is now using that terminology invasion code language sharpton is saying that the black community is fed up with the migrant issue and something has to give that's what he said i know him very well i've known him for 30 years that's what he just said and 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 code in code language and so we'll we'll see how it all plays out what i wanted to brief you on frank as i know you know uh, but uh, several of those uh, suspects accused of beating the uh, New York City police officers have been arrested in Phoenix, Arizona, and the Immigration and, and Customs Enforcement uh, uh, Organization says that the uh, the migrants involved in this mob beating of the NYPD office, officers were arrested Monday evening by ICE. Thank God. Let's let ICE do what they're supposed to do, their job, and politicians leave them alone. By ICE and home Land security investigators at a Greyhound bus station in Phoenix in Phoenix. And so that's a story you can expect to hear a lot Absolutely. more overnight and tomorrow. And as well, New York City had a big news conference a few hours ago where you have gangs of migrants that are now stealing mopads and then they're going around robbing mostly women, snatching their cell phones. They use WhatsApp, uh, uh, what's up? The yeah, app, WhatsApp, sure. Right, and that's how they send the message out for what phones they need. Uh, one woman, I'm gonna tell you about her in a second. But then they get the phones, they go into people's checking account, checking accounts, make large purchases, and then they sell the phones. Right, so they've uh, arrested this large. They, they're calling them uh, ghost uh, robbers. They said the PD says that they don't even know if they have the right names for these individuals. There's video online. You can look around the country. One woman, 62 years old, a victim of these guys, they snatched her purse. Now, remember what happened in New Orleans. You had the grandmother that was uh, carjacked and uh, 18-year-old was was sentenced to life. The three females that were with him sentenced to 20 years for involuntary manslaughter, I believe, in which the grandmother's arm got, this is Mm. in New Orleans, got caught in the door. She couldn't get her arm loose. Her arm ended up being severed from her body, and this 72-year-old grandmother in New Orleans died practically naked in the street. Wow. And so you have that situation in New Orleans, right? And so now fast forward to New York. If you look online, there's video where a 62-year-old woman, the migrants come up behind her on uh, on a moped. They snatch her stuff. She can't let go. She goes flying up into the air, right? And you just see her crash, literally, into a metal uh, bike rack. And she does not move, and she's laying face down between the street and the sidewalk. And thank God some good Samaritans, some women that were walking separately, 
and they saw this and they, they stopped and then they ran over to help her. And on the video, she's motionless as she's laying there on, on the ground. Awful. Absolutely awful. Hey, uh, we're going to talk with Colonel Daniel Davis in just a minute. I'm going to ask him about that uh, border bill that uh, Al Sharpton was just talking about there and uh, all the money in it that's going to places like Ukraine and uh, and Israel. But uh, I do hope people check out this, uh, this column by uh, Mike Snyder in USA Today regarding the merits of making the Super Bowl a holiday because uh, and they cite some very real statistics here that with the Super Bowl flu, it's already an unofficial holiday because you have as many as 14 and a half million employed adults calling in sick to work when they're not actually sick the Monday after the Super Bowl and 28% of employees say they'll be less productive even if they do come to work. Uh, They estimate the amount of lost productivity for Super Bowl Monday, six and a half billion dollars. That's six and a half billion dollars drained from the American economy. Sounds like you support. 100%. I think <laughs> it should absolutely be I think it should be President's Day. They, the President's Day should take place the day after the Super Bowl. It's never going to happen. Well, well, why not though? Well, I mean, how many more, uh, you know, uh, of this, this, this economic drain can we deal with? I mean, this is just, it's so, Good point. It's so foolish. Why? Or they should move the game to Saturday. Move the game to Saturday and play the game on Saturday so people don't have to work the next day. One of the two. I mean, either Super Bowl Saturday or make Super Bowl the day before President's Day. That's my no, That's That's view. not a bad idea. Well, why wouldn't they? I mean, it's not a bad you know, idea. And I, I don't see what the downside is at all. People want to weigh in. They can. 800-848-9222. Tony, what do you think? Um, you, you for making Super Bowl Monday a, a holiday, a, a legit no. national holiday? Why? Man up. Well, but man they're up. not, no. though. No. They're not, though. It's Six, just a game. You, see, you saying man up and Dominic saying it, it doesn't make the 28% of employees that are less productive that day or the 18.8 million that are calling out sick that day, it doesn't make them any more of a man. They're still not coming to work. Look, it is what it is. It's just a game. It is not the end of the world. It's not that serious. Right. Just, just I, get up and go to work. But unfortunately, that's not what's being happening. That's not what's been happening. So why not at least recognize the reality that basically this has become a national event that tens of millions of people participate in? You know, it's it's the the same rationale that you don't make people go to work on uh, Thanksgiving or, you know, a lot of people get off the day after Thanksgiving because, you know, it's a day that tens of millions of people are celebrating. They're getting together. They're traveling in some instances. I think uh, this is an idea whose time has absolutely come. A little bit later, I want to talk about President Biden's decision not to uh, do a Super Bowl interview this year, which I think is interesting. That's interesting. Well, you know why. I mean, the age issue and so on and a lot of eyes will be watching uh, the pregame show where the interview uh, airs. Before you kick me out of the uh, studio here, what? Who's going to win, and what are you going to be doing you know, for the Super Bowl? I, I, well, I'm just going to watch watch at home. I think, but I, um, you know, I'm supporting the 49ers. I, you know, I think that uh, far be it from me to question the uh, Travis Kelsey Taylor Swift phenomenon that's sweeping the nation. So answer this for me. Why are people hating on them so badly? I I think it's because, well, the perception on the part of uh, Trump supporters is that she is liberal, and they don't like that she's going to use her influence to oppose Donald Trump. I think that's part of the way. Uh, But I think there's also just the idea of hating on the front runner, and everything seems to be going well for them. 
the ratings are sky ah. high. There's winning Grammys. There's critical success. There's um, you know success at the box office, and you know it's always fashionable to take a few shots at so, the front runner. In other words, they're doing better than me, and I want to pull I, them I down. I think so. I think that's what a big part of it is. I mean, I, don't, I you don't see live that? my life that way. Me neither. Me neither. You know? All right, Colonel Daniel Davis is here. We're going to talk with him in a minute. Those of you that are on hold, we'll get to you. My thanks to Dominic Carter. We'll check in with him tomorrow as well. Uh, speaking of Vegas, we'll check in um, with a bunch of folks calling in from Vegas a little bit later as well. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is the other side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, yet again, the United States is attacking countries that it believes are harboring terrorism. And yet again, this is being done without any sort of congressional approval. At least that's my perception of it. The people that uh, have lawyers that justify dropping these bombs have a different interpretation of it. We're going to get into it in a minute. But who are we attacking? Who are we attacking in Yemen? Who are the Houthis? Why are we still bombing Iraq and Syria? If these militias that they say are responsible for the recent incident in Jordan where three American servicemen have died are in fact responsible, why not go to the head of the stake and Iran? These are some of the questions that many people have been asking. And our go-to military expert when it comes to answering questions is Colonel Daniel Davis, in addition to being a retired U.S. Army colonel with deployments in four combat zones. He's currently a senior fellow and military expert for defense priorities and the host of the Daniel Davis Deep Dive Show on YouTube. Colonel, it's great to talk to you again. Frank, it's always good to be on your show, brother. Good to see you. Uh, Colonel, maybe this is a little outside of your ballywick, although I suspect not. I know you're a warrior and a scholar, not a legislator. And, you know, legislation is the art of sausage making, of compromise. But there's a lot of people in Washington debating this uh, border security bill, which was supposed to be about, of all things, securing the border. But apparently (laughs) the bulk of the funding in this $160 billion billion dollar piece of legislation which apparently had bipartisan support including from the leaders in the senate mitch mcconnell and chuck schumer a lot of this funding if not the majority of it is going to continue to fund foreign wars namely the ones being conducted now in ukraine and israel i know this is brand new and i I know there's a lot of reaction to this all across the board have you had a chance to look at this and what do you make of the national security Security implications of this, either for our own country or the continued funding of the wars in Ukraine and Israel. Yeah, you know, I, I, I have taken a look at. It. I haven't gotten into it in, in, in any depth, uh, but I have looked at the top line and the, the where this money's going, and then the vast majority is going to other countries. Uh, you know, leading off the top with with uh, sixty billion dollars to uh, Ukraine and seventeen or. 14, depending on which version you're looking at, uh, to Israel. Uh, so that's the vast majority of it. And there's another, another punch is going to, to Taiwan. So 
everywhere you want to look at it, the, the vast majority of this is supposed to go to fund military operations or military preparations in other countries. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the reason they're trying to get this in a, in a big package like this is because uh, they want to make sure that everybody, all these legislators in the Senate, that they all have something that they can go home and claim a, an electoral victory to, to make their side look good or whatever. So, uh, you know, you've got a lot of people saying that the, the Indo-Pacific is the next war, so there's some stuff in there for Taiwan. Uh, you know, other people are saying, well, yeah, but I mean, when the, the Russia war, we still can't let them win. OK, well, here's a big punch for you. And oh, by the way, yeah, everybody loves Israel today. And, you know, it's a, everybody's falling all over themselves to say that they're pro-Israel. So let's throw a big chunk of money there, too. Uh, of all of them, I have to say I'm, I'm the most concerned about the one for Israel. And the reason why is because there doesn't appear to be any strings at all attached to it. Ergo, we can just say, here, here's the money that, that you have asked for on top of the $14 billion, I think, that we gave in the early days. And, and this comes on the heels of just a couple of weeks ago where uh, Netanyahu pretty boldly came out in public and said, I'm going to tell America no when I feel like I need to. Uh, and that came directly after President Biden said that he is emphatic that we they need to be more careful with their civilian casualties, uh, the, the Palestinians in, in the Gaza Strip, and a two-state solution has to be on the table. And basically, uh, Netanyahu said, uh, pound sand. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to tell you no, but I am going to take your money. And this was a golden opportunity for the U.S. to say, hey, listen, this is costing us something. And, and frankly, I want to make sure that people are seeing how these things are connected, because I think a lot of people have incentive in Washington to make sure nobody sees the connections. But I think it's crucial that we see where this is coming in terms of the American troops that have already been killed. It was a miracle that there weren't more killed this morning, our time or yesterday, rather, uh, when when the uh, Syrian Democratic forces were killed, when another drone struck an American base in Derizor in Syria. Uh, I can't imagine that the people actually intended to kill the the, Sir, the Kurds. I think they intended to kill Americans. They just hit the wrong building. Mm. But they hit one. And if it had been the right building, then there would already be monstrous pressure on Biden to go and attack into Iran. And I'll just tell you right off the bat, when that happens, and probably not if, when the next time Americans are killed because they're not doing anything to protect these troops out there, they haven't moved anybody. So it's just another matter of time until another one gets through then that pressure is going to be back on top. But, Frank, every bit of this is tied to the Israeli-Hamas war. All of these uh, strikes in the Red Sea, 100% of them, none of them happened until no, starting in November, directly tied, according to the Houthis, in defense of the Palestinian people who are dying in such large numbers in the war there. All of these attacks, to include the one that killed the Americans and the one that killed the Kurds this, uh, yesterday, were directly tied to the uh, uh, Palestinians being killed in the Gaza Strip. If you don't deal with that war there and, and make Israel conform to the same standards that we demand of our military in similar situations, then we basically give a green light to Netanyahu to keep doing it, and we're going to continue to pay the price both in the Red Sea and in Iraq and Syria. While literally 
paying the price for Israel to do what they're doing in Gaza uh, at the at the same time. Um, you, there's a, you said quite a bit there, and I want to follow up on a few different areas, but I also want to f- uh, simplify this as much as possible for folks because even though, as you point out, it all stems from the same conflict, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, there are a, a, a few of these little mini-wars that all have a little bit of different nuance to them. Let's talk about the, the Yemen situation, the situation with Yemen and and the Houthis. Uh, initially, we started carrying out these attacks because we were not happy with uh, what the Houthis were doing in terms of uh, blocking some commerce in the Red Sea. And President Biden was asked, and I thought he answered very honestly, I'm not sure if it was his, his, his intention to be this honest, but he was asked yeah. about this, and he essentially said, no, the American strikes in Yemen are not working, but we're going to keep doing it. How do you see uh, that situation in Yemen, Colonel? Before we talk about Iraq, Syria, and everything else, was it wise for the Biden administration to go forward with those strikes in Yemen? If not, what should they have done instead? Well, look, all that's doing is just drawing us deeper into a, a conflict. It's broadening it. And now it's a new opportunity for us to continue depleting our, our stocks of uh, precision-guided munitions, air defense missiles, and precision-guided missiles and, and cruise missiles, those kinds of things, because this is now an open-ended deal. Look, the Houthis have shown that they can weather all kinds of storms, as they did from Saudi Arabia from 2015 all the way up until just a year or so ago when they've been trying to get that war wrapped up. But uh, Saudi Arabia did everything in their power with U.S. support and aid uh, to use all their uh, uh, advantages in the air to bring uh, the Houthis to their heels. And they never succeeded. They never shut them down. So why anybody thinks that now firing a few missiles from the United States is going to do what Israel or uh, the, the Saudi Arabia couldn't do for seven or eight years is, is just uh, self-delusion is, is, is the bottom line. It's not going to work. Uh, the Houthis have completely continued to say they're going to continue, and they have continued to make these attacks in there. So now all we do is have an open-ended deal where we're just going to keep firing missiles, I guess, into Yemen, or we're going to try to intercept them in the in the Red Sea. So that's going to continue to use up our interceptor missiles indefinitely. So you haven't solved anything. And look, the bottom line is that there's, I think it's like 1% or 2% of, of of uh, the traffic that's going up in there is directly affected to U.S. companies. The vast majority is Europe and and China. So guess what, Frank? We're doing the work so the Europeans and Chinese don't have to, and they get the benefit uh, of keeping that thing open. That's wrong. Absolutely. That's crazy. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Colonel Daniel Davis. You could check out his show on the YouTube. It's the Daniel Davis Deep Dive Show. Just search that on YouTube, and it comes right up. Okay, uh, let's talk about what happened on Friday. Uh, the U.S. struck 85 targets in Iraq and Syria in retaliation for the uh, death of three service members in uh, either Jordan or uh, Syria, and uh, they vowed, including the uh, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, the Secretary of State Tony Blinken, and really the whole national security apparatus, that this is just the beginning, that this isn't the end of the American response. We're going to see a lot more here. First of all, I think it's just incredible that we've just essentially accepted that we're perpetually at war in Iraq decades after this war 
war began, but let's put that aside. Uh, clarify for folks, if you can, Colonel, who were the targets that we struck? With, what were these 85 targets? Who were they and what were they? And why Friday night? It seemed like there was a little bit of a delay from the time President Biden said that he had determined what he wanted to do until actually carrying out the attack. Yeah, let's look at the last part first, because I, I, I hear a lot of people complaining about that and saying that Biden telegraphed all this stuff and giving everybody time to get out. And, and there, there, there certainly is some truth to that. I, I don't dispute that. But people need to understand that you don't want to rush to failure in something like this. It's not as though that we have this perpetual list of knowing where everybody's at all the time and have this target list you're just waiting to be executed. Once the decision is made, you have to form a target list. You have to use significant amounts of intelligence and, and pour over it with analysts to make sure that you're hitting the right targets, that your signals intelligence is telling you where the targets are because they're gonna, they'll be moving. You can count on that. And you've got to be able to you know, have accurate assessments so that when those missiles are launched, the target is there where it's supposed to be. And it's something that actually matters. And it takes time to build those. And so I, I wasn't really concerned at all that it took a week to do it as long as they, you know, they did it right in terms of the actual execution of it. Uh, in, in terms of what was attacked and who was attacked, the Islamic resistance of Iraq, uh, part of this so-called uh, axis of resistance against the West, uh, claimed responsibility for the attack that killed the American troops. And part of that group is Khatib Hezbollah, which is in Iraq uh, and operates in that area. There are also some in Syria. And, and then uh, there's some of the IRGC Quds forces from Iran have some training facilities and some supply facilities scattered in Iraq and Syria, and uh, the headquarters of some of these places, communication centers, storage facilities, uh, a drone warehouse in one case was, was some of the things that were hit. But those are generally what made up these, these 85 targets. Uh, but here, the thing you got to understand is there are literally thousands of these kind of potential targets out there, tens of thousands, scores of thousands, actually, of the fighters that are allied with all of these groups that are out there. So this is just a drop in the bucket. And, and look, they understand what's at stake here. They knew that they would be attacked by the United States for doing this. And that does not deter them because they are fighting, as I said at the beginning, for the Palestinian people. And this is the only way that they can find to, to you know, they can't reach Israel from where they are. So that they do the only thing they can do, which is to reach our troops in Iraq and Syria. And which is why I've been arguing, I think even on your show in the past, that we need to get those troops out of there right. because all they are the point is strategic vulnerability, and this proves it. No, it, I mean to me, it's the simplest. Uh, it's the simplest explanation in the world in terms of how to keep our troops from getting attacked. Uh, pull them out of the Middle East. The countries don't want them there uh, to begin with. Uh, Colonel, let me ask you a little bit about what authority the president has to uh, take out these strikes. You know, I when the Yemen strikes were going on, I made the point that I thought it was absurd that the president was doing this without any sort of congressional authorization to begin with. A caller called up and said essentially, well, you have the authorization of the use of military force that, um, you know, led to the Iraq bombing. Essentially, I laughed at that. And now, based on what President Biden has written to Congress, apparently that caller should be president. Because in his response under the War Powers Resolution, 
President Biden is claiming that his bombing campaign in Iraq and Syria is authorized by the 2001 authorization of the use of military force that was passed after 9-11 and the 2002 authorization for the use of military force that was passed ahead of the Iraq war, which, if you think about it, is insane because the same authority which justified bombing the Taliban and al-Qaeda in Afghanistan and then justified bombing Saddam Hussein is now remaining in effect to bomb Iranian-backed militias when Iran has always been the enemy of both Saddam Hussein and al-Qaeda and the Taliban. So how can the same authorization be used to go after Saddam, al-Qaeda, and the enemies of Saddam and al-Qaeda? It can't. It's complete fiction. Uh, it's just as banal nonsense as you could possibly get. If you look at the actual language in those authorizations, they expressly talk about what was going on on the ground at the time, uh, you know, withdrawing regarding 9-11, withdrawing people who had gone after us in the attacks, etc. Uh, and then the 2003 was about weapons of mass destruction and all that nonsense. And Saddam Hussein, etc., and, and it has been abused by everybody from George Bush to, to uh, Barack Obama and even Trump, I think, even cited it a time or two. Uh, and, and so Biden is just following the footsteps of them. It's, it's complete fabrication. There's no truth to it whatsoever. It's just somebody with power, the administration, citing something and just claiming it is and who's going to challenge them so far. No one, uh, or at least they haven't so far. And, of course, many in Congress don't want to. Because they don't want to be responsible for anything. They, they want the president to do it and to take the heat if it goes sideways. Uh, but the fact is, you are 100 percent right. It's, it's just fiction, plain and simple. Maybe I'm one of the few people that's still concerned about the national debt and how much money we're currently spending and borrowing. But it's now being reported that the national debt is at thirty four trillion dollars and that we're soon going to be at the point where we're spending more on interest than we spend on national defense. So um, maybe this is a little bit of an insensitive question with so many crises going on. But do we have any idea these 85 strikes that we recently carried out over the weekend in Iraq and Syria, do we have any idea how much this is costing the American taxpayer ballpark? Uh, you know, I, I haven't seen any dollar figures associated with it all. I, I, mean, I mean, you know, a lot of these missiles are five and six million dollars a pop. Uh, some of them are one and two million dollars. So, I mean, you can see it's, it, it adds up quick and then you have the the air frames that actually launched them, the maintenance of that old stuff. So it, it, it's a, a big amount. But the problem is it's open-ended. And there's actually a bigger problem, uh, Frank, and that is that because we have given so many artillery shells, uh, missile interceptors, Patriot air defense systems, Stinger missiles, et cetera, to Ukraine over the past two years, and now we're given literal plane loads, multiple plane loads every single day to Israel, and now then you're talking about wanting to send more stuff to Taiwan on top of that and more to Israel and more to Taiwan, I mean, more to, to Ukraine, while we're now opening it, expending them on our own. And I'm telling you for an absolute fact that our industrial complex, our military industrial complex, cannot replace the amount that we're spending and using. Uh, it'll take years to recover all this. And if you keep going like this, our inventories are going to get so low that if we should suddenly find ourselves in a mid to high intensity conflict, we wouldn't even be able to have enough ammunition for ourselves. 
that is the scary part that almost nobody wants to talk about because it hasn't happened and they just think that magically it won't. But if it does, we're screwed because of what we've done. We are making ourselves vulnerable strategically right now. There seem to be two types of criticism for this recent military adventurism in the Middle East that President Biden has embarked upon. There's uh, the folks like me, and from what it sounds like, this is close to where you are, that say this is not the right response because it's too much and too aggressive militarily. And then you have others that say this is too little, that we should be more aggressive and go to places like Iran. Uh, let's, Let's address the folks that say this is too much. Now, um, one person reached out to me on Twitter and said to me, they sent us back three dead soldiers, Frank. What would you do? Now, let me ask you that question. You've been a military leader, three dead American servicemen. How does the United States not respond in some sort of quick and aggressive fashion? Yeah, I'll tell you, because I have been uh, beating the drums on this since at least 2019 on Fox News, almost every time the subject comes up, and I mean many times, uh, and I've done it again here recently and, and before this happened, and I warn, if you leave those troops there, they are nothing but a point of strategic vulnerability, making this very thing inevitable or just a matter of time. So part of the blood is on the hands of our leaders for failing to get them to safety when they could have first level in there. The second one is, even with mistakes, once, a, once you've killed American troops, that's it. You have to die. So there's no question about it. So whether it's Khatib Hezbollah or whether it's this Islamic repo, uh, resistance of Iraq, whoever actually did the, the attack must be uh, brought to justice, period, point blank. What we cannot do and what the 1973 War Powers does not do and what the Article One of the Constitution doesn't do is to give the president of the United States authorization to attack a different entity. It was not Iran that pulled the trigger. It was Khatib Hezbollah. That's who you can only go after because of the three troops were killed. So, yes, three troops were killed. You should go after the people that did it. That does not mean that you should go after uh, the, the Iran because they funded them. But because by that logic, then Russia should come after us because we fund Ukraine, their enemy that's killing their soldiers. So unless you want to have that argument made, then you can't make the one that Iran should be attacked because they gave Hezbollah some of these, you know, these ammunition or whatever. But the bigger issue remains that we have three caskets that just passed through Dover. Mm. I don't want one more casket. But if you don't take these troops out, then you're going to get more because now you've stirred up the hornet's nest and more people are going to attack our troops, not less. So it's not deterred anything. If anything, it's going to make it more likely some of our troops die pointlessly. Then let's talk to the people that think this was too little, that think you have to, uh, and I've heard this phrase used many times since Friday, go after the head of the snake itself. Don't go after the tentacles. Go after Iran itself and target uh, some strikes within Iran proper. Why are those people incorrect in your view, Yeah, Jack Keane and Lindsey Graham are the two biggest cheerleaders for that exact— Joe Lieberman as well. Joe Lieberman as well. Yeah, yeah, add him in there, too. They, they have been making that case within the last 24 hours, actually. And they are, in fact, dead wrong. Because, number one, the Constitution doesn't allow it. Iran did not attack us. They didn't. So we don't have the authorization to go after them. Because they're funding these groups that we don't like. That is not a justification to go to war unless the U.S. Congress 
declares war on Iran, then the president can take us in there. But they, they're not going to get that because the American people don't want a pointless war that we don't need to fight. And it would be catastrophic for our interests. Catastrophic if we were to fight them. What Jack Keane wants and what Lindsey Graham and these people argue for, and you look at what they've been saying, therefore, a, they say, well, we don't want a war with Iran. We just want to take out their oil infrastructure, their leaders, uh, and some of their IRGC people, i.e., the very organs of their state, which by oh, definition yeah, is an act of war. I'm sure Iran will be just fine with that. Yeah, yeah, they'll say they're fine. Yeah, just go ahead and take us down. It's not a big one, so you only killed some of our people, so sure. Will be deterred. No, it's an active war and it will spawn a war. They won't get a deterrence, they'll get a war. That's why they're wrong. You hit them harder, you're going to get a war. All right. The relationship between Iran and these so-called Iranian-backed militias, you're going to have to explain that one to me because it's clear that there is some relationship, whether it's in terms of funding, whether it's in terms of sharing intelligence or weaponry or other things. But I was reading a great deal over the weekend where it says Iran has very limited authority over these uh, these actual militias, at least some of them. And many of these militias have different interests. They might be uh, Sunni rather than Shia, and they uh, operate very independently from any direction of Iran. And that would seem a little counterintuitive to what we've been hearing about going after Iran yeah. if they don't have operational control over these militias. What is your understanding of the relationship between Iran and the so-called Iranian-backed militias? Yeah, that, that's the, what the kings of this world, they want that to be true so that it validates their suggestion to go after the head of the snake uh, so that when you kill the head of the snake, then all the tentacles stop because that's who's pulling the strings. But that's not the case. And in fact, let's look at Khadib Hezbollah, the, one of the groups that was the, r- responsible for killing our, the three soldiers there. They are backed by Iran in terms of they, they have support from Iran. Sometimes their tr- soldiers are trained by some of the IRGC folks. Sometimes they get ammunition, uh, other kinds of financial support. But here's the thing that you also got to recognize that no one wants to talk about is that they are actually supported more and more directly by the Iraqi government. They are actually a, a part of the Iraqi security system recognized by the government, which is why you had the Iraqi prime minister enraged when we attacked these people. He went to visit their, their wounded soldiers that we wounded in the attack in the hospital with a lot of fanfare, calling them, you know, victims of the American aggression and all this, while we have troops in Iraq allegedly helping these very people out. So you want to talk about something that doesn't make any sense, that is the, at the top of the list before you even want to talk about Iran. Colonel, unfortunately, we're going to have to end it there. I could talk with you all morning, and I hope you'll come back soon. I greatly appreciate your time and your expertise, sir. Always my pleasure. Thanks, Frank. We've been talking with Colonel Daniel Davis. Uh, Check out his show on the YouTube. It's called The Daniel Davis Deep Dive Show. This is The Other Side of Midnight. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at midnight with Frank Morano. 
Fly me to the moon Let me play among the stars Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars In other words Hold my hand In other words Baby, kiss me The great Frank Sinatra singing Fly Me to the Moon. This is a uh, birthday bumper music selection for one of our greatest listeners, the one and only Tommy Barlotta, who uh, is uh, a good friend and a wonderful listener. I got to see Tommy for a little while on Saturday. He's doing great and uh, is just a, a wonderful person. And uh, a great, great listener. So, uh, happy birthday, Tommy. Hopefully all of your wishes come true. I'll tell you, you know, I've been talking about how I think once you get to a certain age, once you're an adult, birthday gifts... Oh, by the way, Tommy tells me that the high school that his children go to, very well-known high school, I don't want to say what it is because, you know, there's a lot of people that may take issue with this, but it's a private school, it's a Catholic school. They close the day after the Super Bowl so that the kids and presumably the faculty as well can have a break after the game. So we've put up this poll on Twitter at Frank Morano, that's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O, asking whether or not the day after the Super Bowl should be a holiday. My view is absolutely it should be President's Day. And Catherine Trunk raises a great point. She says the jury's still out for me on that. But there's no doubt that Super Bowl celebrations drive the economy, food, catering, parties. They rev the economic engine. I think she brings up a very good point in that I think if people could really go hog wild with these Super Bowl parties, that not only would you not have the six and a half billion dollars of lost productivity that you have each year, but you could potentially see even more economic growth. But. What I was going to say on the birthday uh, present front, if you do know someone who's celebrating a birthday anytime soon, a great gift for them is something from the other side of Midnight online store. I was looking through the store today, and they've got some new stuff on there. They've got some new shirts and new bags uh, commemorating the racket report. I, in fact, you know, I bought something not only for myself on there, but I bought something for Dr. Sky as a little token of how grateful I am for everything he does for our show. I sent him a couple of hats. So if you want to check out the other side of Midnight online store, either for yourself or a gift for someone else, go to store.othersideofmidnightshow.com. That's store.othersideofmidnightshow.com. Some cool stuff on there. And uh, I, I may, it's given me some ideas for some more, some more stuff as well. I'm going to pitch it to whomever is in charge of that. But you can check it out, store.othersideofmidnightshow.com. If you do end up buying anything on there, use the promo code FRANK15 and you can save 15% on whatever you end up purchasing. So whatever you purchase, and including stuff you may like from other shows, use that promo code FRANK15. All right, 800-848-9222. Four open lines if you want to comment. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with George in New York City. Hello, George. Hi there. Uh, yeah, and uh, give me a minute or two, please. I'd greatly appreciate it. Listen, I want to mention something very important rega- regarding the last few days. Since the U.S. attack or retaliation, right, I've been avoiding, like the pr- a plague, you know, WABC, except listening to you only. 
and sometimes Bill, uh, you know, uh, uh, Bill O'Reilly. Right, well, we don't need to get into the other shows. Jordan, all right, but all right, whatever. Because the re- I consider the rest very right, well, prejudicial. Yeah, don't don't get into any of the other shows Arab. because you know do right, you call okay. on this show. So what's right. your comment? Now regarding all right regarding uh, uh, what uh, what's going on is that PT, you know, uh, uh, Target Tehran, John Cornine. If they hit Iranian people, Iranian people are going to turn on the U.S. for good. You know, for a million years, they will never forgive the U.S. Right now, the ordinary U.S. Uh, uh, Iranian, you know, person on the street is very pro-American. Doesn't John Cornyn uh, realize that fact? That if they bomb uh, or kill Iranian people, the uh, citizens of Iran, or, uh, you know, I mean, the civilians in the main, well, you know, yeah. For, then. Yeah, for starters, then, George, I'm not sure um, how thorough an, an understanding of Middle Eastern policy and foreign policy Senator Cornyn has. I don't mean to disrespect someone that's a member of the U.S. Senate and has been there for so long, but he, you know, they all drink from this groupthink, right? They're all the victims of groupthink. They all are drinking from the same Kool-Aid, and they, um, they're they all beholden to the same donors. They're all wined and dined by the same lobbyists. They're all um, reading reports prepared by the same think tanks, which are funded by the same military defense contractors. They're all watching the same media outlets, um, you know, with marginal differences. Some watch Fox News, whereas others watch CNN and MSNBC. But on uh, the the constant drumbeat for war, all the networks are pretty much saying the same thing. I also uh, think you're giving a little bit too charitable a view of how the average Iranian views America. While I don't think... Everybody is chanting death to America. I think many uh, rank-and-file Iranians do blame America for all sorts of things. I think the ones that are unhappy with the uh, Ayatollah and the Islamic Revolution, they blame America because of the coup that we facilitated in the 50s. And let's not forget, America shot down an Iranian passenger airplane in 1988 and killed all 290 people on board. That's not something. Most Americans, of most Iranians have forgotten, even if most Americans have. Help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.